0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Monday Main Point. This is uh, Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm here joined, of course, as always, with uh, my fellow pastors, Jeremiah Custer, Blake Flincham, and our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy, on this uh, rather cold December 7th morning. uh, Here we are in the month of December, fellas, and uh, we're still still going with this Monday Main Point thing. I I like this. I like this podcast. I like this podcast format and uh, getting to do this. We're happy that you've decided to join us. Uh, this Monday Main Point is brought to you by Rosa Sharon Baptist Church, the pastoral staff here at Rosa Sharon Baptist. And it's where we as pastors get together and sort of look at the Sunday sermon in a little bit more detail. Kind of pull, pull back the curtain from you uh, a little bit so you guys can hear our discussion. Because we do this anyway. We just thought we would invite you into the room as we do this. We are still in the Echoes from Exile sermon series as we're looking at all the minor prophets, and uh, this Sunday's was Zephaniah, um, and so um, Zephaniah is another prophet who is prophesying during the time of uh, around around Judah as opposed to Israel. He's prophesying during the time of King Josiah, and if you don't know about King Josiah. Josiah was the king who was really trying to bring about a lot of reform he brought about the most reform in in Jerusalem and uh, by reform I mean he he basically got rid of all the all the idolatrous places all the altars to other gods and he cleaned house in in, in Jerusalem when he was king and um, and the Bible says that that, that there was a uh, Honestly, there was no one who had done more to reform Jerusalem than Josiah did. And yet, we read in 2 Kings 22 and 23 in the account surrounding Josiah that Josiah's reforms were not going to be enough. Um, that God had determined he was going to bring judgment against Jerusalem for all that they had done, starting back all the way back with King Manasseh, who went so far as to sacrifice his child... Uh, Uh, on on the altar to Molech and have his child pass through the fire uh, is what the Bible says. So there had been a string of bad things happening in Jerusalem and God had decided to judge Judah for their sins. And so Zephaniah is at the time of Josiah prophesying about this coming judgment. And really that is uh, a lot of Zephaniah. There's a lot of heavy judgment language in this book, fellas. Um, the first chapter is all about, it starts off with this sort of, um, I like the way that the Bible Project put it, this reversal of Genesis 1. So God creates um, in order all all the, all the parts of creation, and, and in the same order here uh, in Zephaniah at the very beginning of the book, it's like God's going to destroy, uh, wipe, sweep away everything from the face of the earth, the man, and animal, and birds, and fish and all all the things that he had created, he's going to destroy. Zephaniah is using this as a sort of a poetic picture of what he's about to do to Jerusalem. In other words, his destruction of Jerusalem will be complete. It'll be complete because of all that they've done wrong. But his judgment isn't just going to come on Jerusalem. His judgment is going to come against all the nations who have denied him and have participated in unjust actions and Uh, uh, have demonstrated a lack of righteousness. And it talks about this great sort of, his wrath is going to come like this great fire. And this fire, though, is not going to be a fire that's just to destroy, but a fire to purify. And that gets us into the end of Zephaniah, which is really where you camped out. And I'm glad you did. I mean, you could have spent, Jeff, you could have spent all that time talking about gloom and doom and hey, destruction. I had Obadiah. no eyes, gonna do that. Again. <laughs> but there, there was plenty of destruction and chaos and and pictures of judgment to be found in Zephaniah. But really, uh, I, I think I think you're exactly right. The most beautiful picture in Zephaniah actually comes as a direct contrast. To all that judgment, and it comes at the end of chapter three, when Zephaniah is talking about this final restoration that's going to be promised. That that this humble remnant that he's mentioned in an earlier part of the book, uh, those who will humble themselves, and uh, uh, will uh, will in well in Zephaniah two three seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth, who carry out what He commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you will be concealed on the day of the Lord's anger. Yeah. Perhaps you will be hidden on the day of the Lord's anger. And, and for that group who is humble, uh, there is a promise of hope, a promise of restoration, a promise that, as the sermon said yesterday, a God who will be among us, who would save us, mm-hmm. and who would quiet us and calm us. And that's really where we want to look at today. As that's kind of the whole of Zephaniah in a nutshell. Um, and so let's just go through that back through those three main points. Um, on Monday Main Point today. Uh, Let's go back through those three main points of that message and kind of talk a little bit more in depth about what that looks like for us today. Jeff, I think about um, um, the idea that God is among us. Um, And here at this Christmas season, we even talk about Emmanuel, God with us. And yet, I think if you pulled a lot of people, um, especially people who are outside the church, they would say, well, if, he, if he's among us, then he's hidden himself. If he's among us, then I, there's no evidence of it. If he's among us, then why, why do we have so much evil? And why is there so much chaos? And yet, Zephaniah is sort of saying the same thing. Even in the midst of all this chaos, it may not look like God's there, but God's there. What assurances can we have or what assurances can we offer to people that, that yeah, okay, it looks like God isn't here, but he is definitely here. Okay, so so as you began, you talked about the uh,
1: Bible projects, uh, going <clears throat> reversal of Genesis 1, mm-hmm. where we, if you know the story from chaos, a, so God existed, and into chaos he spoke, right. and he created everything. So this is a reversal. So if you reverse everything God did, then you're back at chaos. Right. Well, before chaos... We still had God. So God is still there, even in the chaos. So that's yeah, kind of yeah, how that's good. what I was thinking when I came up with the title and all, because, you know, these are chaotic times. And definitely these people went through chaos, and then right. the exile was chaos. And even when Jesus appeared, it was chaos. And, you know, we're celebrating Christmas. And right. a lot of people don't want to celebrate. A lot of people are just kind of, you know, or, or if they celebrate Christmas, they're celebrating the family, the get-together, the gift-giving, <laughs> Uh, all the trappings right. the culture has given Christmas without really knowing the true meaning while, mm-hmm. we're, while we're celebrating. And we are celebrating that even in the midst of chaos, that, that God that was there before chaos, before he's spoken to chaos is still with us now because he promised to be with us. And we know that was ultimately fulfilled with Christ. But for these people, with their temple being destroyed and everything taken away, and now they're going to go into exile... Um, into a foreign land, who's who claims now that you know our God destroyed your God, so you know we're, we we control you. Um, is God going to be with them? Mm-hmm. And um, that's that was the hard thing to to try to figure out how He would be with them during that time. And I think I gave uh, three or four different ways of you know using some examples like Daniel and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and and then the whole thing idea of God's word was taken to. Uh, with them, that that God was still with them in the midst of the chaos, that they would just look and seek and try to
0: find him. Right, right. So what do you say, Jeremiah, to somebody who says, um, if God's there, I don't see him?
2: Yeah, I I would just simply say uh, keep looking, seek. But one thing I find great comfort in is to look outside of myself and even outside of my country. My nation, my time frame. So when I think sometimes about like, uh, man, God, are you working? Are you in in the in the midst here? Um, do you still care? Um, one thing I take great comfort in is the fact that that Christianity and God just transcends culture. He transcends mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. Uh, in the sense of there's there's no other thing that has lasted this long uh that's transcended over nations so nations can can literally be wiped out it's not tied to any one nation but right but it's tied to to the world so i like to you know uh sometimes i'll just google like what what is god doing in other countries or hmm. uh, uh how is god moving over and i'll just pick pick a country or whatever and uh and see what God's doing over there, right? And then uh, it, it just gives me comfort to know that it's not it's not just me. Uh, and then I also something that's really important that that we take for granted in America is fellowshipping with other believers, because because there's times when we may doubt or we may just not see God at work. But I promise you, you get in a group of four, five, six uh, other believers, someone seeing God move. Um, mm. So so surround yourself with with other believers. Um, I know right now that's hard. Uh but we can do that virtually and of course uh, the pastors are here uh anytime. So uh I know sometimes that's hard to to see God in our midst but but I do know he's there and he's at work.
0: That's a that's a really cool kind of missional perspective too. I, I like I like the idea of you know not limiting God's work to what we see here in my and what what I see in my own little yeah. private circle but rather understanding that God is a global God God is a universal God right yeah. so God's at work all the time all these other places and um and especially right now at a time where you know we we, we as a church are looking at a lot of Christmas offering for instance at the international mission board and uh, I think sometimes we forget we really do we forget until about this time of year that God's at work in these other little small corners of the world I mean and yeah. Um, what a great way to think about God's presence. Blake, I, I want to I I I pitch a question to you that's um, uh, along the lines of children's pastor, kind of oriented. Right. Um, obviously, God is in the midst, and we, we, we've, we've established that. How can parents, how can families, especially during this time of year at Christmas, how can they, um, what can they do in their homes to help establish this idea of God, God being ever present mm. in the home, in the family, we might have families that are listening, and you know they struggle with, well, how can I teach my children that God is among us, that God is not some God's not distant. We don't have God. God doesn't live over at Rosa Sharon Baptist Church, right. but that God <laughs> is here in our home. Yeah, uh, even you know at our dinner table, God is there when we're. Playing together, how do you do that? How what are some practical ways that that people can do that?
3: Well, and right now is one of the easiest times to foster this, uh, to foster this uh, gospel community just within your own home. You know, one thing that I've always loved when parents do is just simply read the Christmas story with your kids. Yeah, and and just read it over and over. See what they see what they think. You know, uh, repetition, repetition is going to be good for their uh, for their gospel growth and also uh, one thing that I like to do with like my brothers back at home is something called the Bible app for kids. Mm-hmm. And it puts the Bible on such their level. It's great theology put into kids' terms. Uh, that's one thing that I love to do with my little brother. It works, so I, so I would encourage you maybe to download the, the Bible app for kids, for your kids, so they can continue to see these stories. And it takes you throughout the whole stories of Scripture. And so you can really see from Adam and Eve to there's going to be no more crying in Revelation. Just you can have the whole Bible sense there. So I encourage you, you know, read the Bible with your children, pray with them, uh, mm-hmm. and don't just do the don't do the mundane, typical prayers. Go, you know, reach farther in your prayers. You know, let them see you confess your own sin, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I yeah, and I think that all that's really great advice
0: because. I think the more that we can make God a part of our everyday lives, the more that our children are going to see him as ever-present and in our midst. And and if he's in our midst, then, Jeff, we can celebrate him even in the midst of chaos, just like you Yeah, and, and,
1: you know, to go along with that, I think I mentioned, like, the Passover Seder is one of the ways Yeah, that, they, yeah, they, that's that that's which real... kind of goes along with what Blake was saying, because that's what that was. It was every year they repeated the story, they used the symbols, and they embarked the kids yeah. yeah. They bought yeah. their children mm-hmm. and they were supposed to ask questions. What does this mean? Right. And then they would tell them. Of course, um, you know, we have a greater understanding of, of what those symbols meant. But that was an, also another way to think about it. For 70 years, they're in exile and they're still waiting. This king, in fact, the Passover supper has a place for him. And um, so this is all part of helping them, preparing them for this time that when the Messiah would come. So I think in Christianity, um, we don't do enough of that, uh, telling the story in our homes like the Jewish people did. Yeah,
0: so. no, I think you're right. I, even at Christmas, I mean, <laughs> and, and this is the this is a key time, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great time to instill that idea. I'm not saying that you can't enjoy. Um, I'm not one of those who thinks, well, oh, you know, well, don't be singing Frosty the Snowman. Don't sing yeah. Rudolph. It's okay to enjoy. Those parts, But even when you do that, always point back towards, take advantage of telling the story of uh, the, that, that what this is really all about and telling the story of God in our midst because that's so important to establish. And then with it, leading right into the second point, is this idea of a Savior. Um, that God God says, not, not only will the, does He say the Lord your God is among you, but he says, a warrior who saves. Man, we don't think about God sometimes, I think, as a warrior. I think I think people sometimes, Jeff, have this idea of God, of either one of two extremes, right? He's either some sort of um, grandfather figure who looks a little bit like Santa Claus in everybody's head, who, you know, is, is just all... Fluffy and 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 warm and 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 you know uh, I want to wrap your arms around you you know that kind of thing or they have this idea of this sort of aloof powerful Zeus like figure who's just waiting with lightning bolts to strike people but we don't see him often as a warrior someone who is going to as a protector a warrior someone who is going to eliminate the enemy but what does that say to us I mean like how 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 important is it to understand God in this context?
1: Well, I think too when you go back to, to Christ um, during this time when they were awaiting this this one to come maybe they skipped over the God with us part. You know, mm. and Jesus shows up as Emmanuel. Right. So that was his main purpose for coming. But the secondary purpose was to be that mighty warrior. And um, I think the Jewish people were expecting this mighty warrior first. Like, He's going to come. He's going to destroy the Romans. He's going to de- destroy the Babylonians. He's going to destroy every enemy we ha- ever have. And even to this day, you know, the Jewish people are still waiting for this mighty warrior to show show up to protect them from all their enemies that surround them right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I think think then when Zephaniah, uh, because it is comforting to have the Savior. Right. But it's not really com- comforting to have the warrior, especially... <laughs> If, if he's coming for judgment... And you're on the wrong side of that. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think we tend... Uh, I think there was a time probably a lot of people did preach uh, from the warrior aspect to that God's going to come and judge sin, and he is. Mm-hmm. But he's also provided this way out, this mighty, mighty warrior saves, and there is this way of escape. Right. So it's that it's that it's that double thing we've been looking at with the judgment but grace that, that throughout these whole minor prophets that, that that we have to keep in the balance. But he is ultimately going to come. Right. The second time. And he will be that warrior, mighty one to save then. And, uh, but as Christians, we know he took all that on the cross for us now. Mm-hmm. So even if we were here, when he shows up and we experienced this apocalyptic you know, return to chaos, we're going to be protected now because... We're on, we have Christ that, that has come in and saved us. So yeah. um, a lot of it depends, I think in America especially, uh, when we went through the Civil War, uh, a lot of people looked at America being the new Jerusalem and that we were, we were going to sp- spread Christianity throughout the world and then Jesus would show up once we spread Christianity throughout the <laughs> world. And so, um, so you have a lot of that theology still in our midst, uh, or that we want God to save us from this judgment, so He's going to just snatch us up out of the right. out of the judgment. So I, I I think both of those are probably wrong, um, but I'm not really sure how <laughs> it's going to end. But it will end, and He will be this mighty warrior. But the thing is, if you put your trust in Him now, if you're part of that remnant now, you won't have to worry
0: about that warrior part. Right. And and Jeremiah, that kind of leads me to a maybe a slightly even deeper question and. I'm going to throw it to you, and you can hate on me later. Um, but uh, <laughs> when we ta- when we see God and, and this idea of God as a warrior, and, and man, if you read Zephaniah 1, and you're reading like Zephaniah one fifteen, for instance, that day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, destruction, desolation, darkness, gloom, clouds, blackness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities. And it goes on and it talks about, blood being poured out like dust and flesh like dung. I mean, just really graphic language. How do I square this version of God who is just wreaking havoc on nations and, 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 and in a warrior kind of sense, how do I square that notion with the notion of a God of, what seems to be a God of love in the New Testament? Like, is there a way to, to, to bring these two pictures of God together? Because it feels as though the Bible sometimes is talking about two different people.
2: Yeah, so it goes back to your your first little question about like we have this this Santa Claus looking god uh in our minds that rides on clouds and has pegasus or whatever uh unicorns up there or whatever whatever it may be <laughs> whatever it may be I
0: don't uh, know if anybody's actually got a picture of God on a unicorn. Maybe but not. if they do, <laughs> well, zo- if, zo- they, if they do, I, I'm going to say I don't think the Bible supports that image of God. <laughs> Jeremiah's been watching too many kids' movies for yeah, his daughter. and his son. <laughs> My little pony. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, no, no, no. Hercules with uh, pe- Pegasus. Oh, You're yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, go ahead. I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, and, and I just think that we don't have a big enough view of God. Just yeah. that simple. And so all throughout these minor prophets, we're, we're seeing them cry out for specific injustices, mm-hmm. which they should cry out against specific injustices. Um, and then they're not satisfied with God's answer of, yeah, I'm going to wipe out injustice. Not just that specific injustice, but injustice, like oppression, all oppression, all injustice. That's going to be wiped out. And so... They're, they're too trapped in their own time and their own oppressors to see God is doing something bigger. Mm-hmm. And if we're being honest, I know I know when we read about the gloom and doom stuff, say in Zephaniah 1, uh, it, it seems very strong and very direct and very abrupt. But if we're being honest, that's what we want. Mm. We want injustice to be punished. We want oppression to be punished. We cry out for that daily. We're like, God, this is not right. Why do you allow this to happen? And at one point, at some point in that day that Jeff talked about yesterday, that will all be wiped out. And so we always ask, like, can you wipe this specific case out? And Mm -hmm. God's like, no, think bigger. I'm going to wipe it all out. I'm going to I'm going to eliminate sin all all your greatest enemies sin death oppression injustice it will all be wiped clean and uh but there's a way of escape and by the way that way of escape is my son who I sent to take the penalty in your place so sin will be punished all sin my sin will be punished it's just whether or not You pay the punishment for your own sin, or you allow Jesus to pay the penalty for you to to be that covering for you. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't really want a God who does who 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 just allows sin to happen. None of us want a God that allows sin to happen if we're being honest. Uh, but we also, we, we love the love and merciful God who doesn't punish my sin. Mm-hmm. I just want him to punish everyone else's right. sin. <laughs> I don't want him to punish my sin. And so there's this balancing act. And I think it's simply, you can't focus on the wrath side and the love side like separately, but that it's the same and that he's He's just bigger than kind of our minds uh, allow us to look at him. Um, I hope that's a, that's a comforting answer. Mm-hmm. It, it is.
0: Oh, yeah. uh, it's interesting we're talking about this idea of that in order for injustice to be taken care of, there needs to be God, right? That God, that without God, there, it, there the, we can't take care of injustice. I was just reading um, an old article, an old lecture actually delivered by a famous atheist named Bertrand Russell. And Russell, in in a famous lecture he gives called um, uh, Why I Am Not a Christian, he actually talks about this argument from injustice for God, right? That they, he says that um, that uh, the existence, that people pose that the existence of God is required in order to bring justice into the world, the very thing we were just talking about. Well, One of the things that he says is that he thinks that that's a, that's a that's a curious argument because if you look at the matter from a scientific point of view, you would say, if all I know is this world, and I don't know anything about the rest of the universe, but as far as I can, he says, but so far as one can argue it at all on probabilities, one would say that probably this world is a fair sample. And if there's injustice here, the odds are there's injustice everywhere else also. So that there's nowhere or no when where injustice is going be, to be eliminated. How do we answer that? How, how would you answer that, Blake? How, how, do you, how do you look at that and say, okay, but you've got it wrong here, um, that, that there is a way for injustice to be finally eliminated. That just because there's injustice here now doesn't mean that there's always going to be injustice, um, that there that there really can come a day where injustice is gone.
3: Yeah. Um, my answer to that is probably twofold. First, I would ask him when he started to believe all this, just to engage his heart, um, because that's probably... We need to... He, Somebody needs to get to the root issue of why he believes all this. At what moment did he start to cultivate all this? And He's probably mad at God about something, maybe, something along the lines of that. So Mm -hmm. my first answer would be, seek out his heart. Two, when it comes to injustice, God is very aware of injustice. And it's really not—if we want to speak of injustice and fairness and all this— really not fair that he gave up his own son who was perfect to suffer for people who were not perfect Mm -hmm. and so God completely understands injustice he understands it so much that he gave up himself so that he could have a relationship with you Mm -hmm. and so I would just point that back to the gospel and you can fill in the you can fill in the parts where I missed. <laughs> what, 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 the what, philosophers what, coming out. Yeah, dude. yeah. So what? What? what um.
0: He, the analogy he uses, Jeff, is like if you have a if you have a batch of, of oranges mm. and the top batch is bad, why assume that there's the the bottom half is good? Like you would think that the whole batch is bad. So if there's injustice in the universe, it's unjust completely. That there's no way to to bring justice. What do you say to that?
1: well that's a very deep question there it is monday morning (laughs) it it, it is a deep question uh just because there's injustice like 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 if you use the orange crate for example Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to seep all the way down to the bottom right or if you go to the the very center of the orange the seed is probably not ruined just because the Mm. the orange is rotten you Mm -hmm. can take that same seed and plant it and grow a tree and have good oranges right so the seed for us, of course, you know, if you use biblical terms, is, is God's word, mm-hmm. the gospel, Jesus, and God spoke. So this great God of perfection and chose a, to, to create this universe, right. chose to create man and woman in his image, and then allowed them to have a free will where they could choose whether or not they wanted to live for God or live for themselves. Right, and because we chose to live for ourselves, sin entered the picture. Death comes, so so it was it was
0: all our own making, right? Basically, but can we, Jeremiah? I guess the, I guess the question then is 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 it possible then for us as sinful human beings to enter into a, a kingdom? Where we don't bring that back into it again, where we where we don't yeah. where we don't bring injustice back into the picture. Like I've thought about it before. Like if you put me in the garden, I don't need Adam to mess it up. I'll yeah. mess it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, that's part of the problem with these guys. They were blaming these other nations, and God was like, "Your
1: is just as bad." Right. So now get back to your thing there.
2: Yeah. So to answer the specific question, uh, I think the, this atheist um, is not in a bad place because if I'm being honest. And I'm looking at the world scientifically, and I'm just looking at this world, and I'm assuming that it's going to continue, right? Mm-hmm. The only right answer is, uh, yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible without God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and that, that may not be comforting to him because he doesn't want to believe in right, God, right. but the, inju- the, the wipe out of injustice that he is seeking is only possible in God. Mm-hmm. only possible mm-hmm. um it has to be a, a perfect being who 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 deals with that sin or that sin not that sin just sin mm. uh in general so to be honest i think he's philosophically and mentally in a good spot he's looking at the world and saying yeah this is this is impossible but he's got the wrong perspective in uh because it exists, God must not be here or God must not exist. But the fact that he wants that, he wants it to be wiped out and he's seeking that just shows well it's impossible. I mean the the justice we want does not exist apart from God.
3: Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of times we blame God for what man does a lot when it comes to justice and injustice because like we see in the garden that like this wasn't intended to be this way. Mm-hmm. It was never meant to be this way. The reason that there's injustice, you know, we got to look in the mirror. Uh, and so a lot, a lot of times when it comes to the problem of evil and injustice, we tend to blame God for something that man did. Mm-hmm. And just think about it from our own perspective. You know, do you like being blamed for something you didn't do? Mm. Not at all. Right. And I think God. He takes a lot of heat for people like Bertrand Russell and the atheists for... I mean, probably not good reasons because yeah. he didn't. He's not the author of injustice, right?
0: And 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 you, you. I think you hit on something important there, Blake. Is that that really? As if we're going to have free will, if we're going to have the ability, and I think you said this too, Jeff. If we're going to have free will, the ability to choose to do right, to obey God, or to disobey God, then that's where. That's where the deviation starts, right? I mean, in, but but you don't blame God for that. You you blame us for making the choices that we make, I and mean, that's not God's
3: that's not God's fault for sure. You have to have the right view of man, yeah. And have the right view of God. I had a
0: had had a, I had a uh, former pastor of mine who used to say that that anything that b- bad that happens happens for one of three reasons. It's either our own bad choices, the bad choices of some, the free bad choices of somebody else or the consequences of someone else's bad choices, or it's just the fact that we live in a sinful, fallen, broken world. This is not the way the world Mm -hmm. is supposed to be. And the fact that we can go back and look at the garden and see what what it is supposed to be, what it one day I believe will be, um, with God presiding over it, right, and with sin taken care of, um, I think that there is hope for a time where there is no, well, there's no longer injustice, that injustice will be no more. Um, and that brings about a time of peace and quiet, Jeff, and calm. And man, do we need calm right now. <laughs> I mean, so let's, let's, uh, let's take our feet out of the philosophical waters for a second here. And let's just go to some practical stuff. Um, n- nobody, I think, that, that has uh, lived and survived this 2020 year would say that this has been a year of peace. It's been a year of anything but peace. And these last words in the prophet Zephaniah, where he says, he will bring you quietness. He will bring you quietness with his love. And he will delight in you with shouts of joy. And then I think in some in some translations, it even talks about, he will sing songs over mm-hmm. you, right? Yes. Man, what a great picture. Um, how can I take that picture, Jeff, of uh, this picture that Zephaniah is painting? In this... It is bleak landscape, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of, of judgment. How do I take that picture and and use that to find quiet and find peace and calm for myself, even though my circumstances are anything but that? Well,
1: um, th- there was two images that came to mind, and one I talked about like a, a mother singing over her child,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, you know, calming the child spirit. Another one would be, you know, King David. He was the warrior king. And he sang songs. Yeah. And in fact, you know Saul, who was a warrior king, had David play songs for him to quiet his spirit. Mm-hmm. And so the picture then of this warrior king is, you know, singing songs over us. Mm-hmm. And then an- another um, thing you can think about was was, and I didn't mention this, but but music probably played a big role too for the people in exile. In fact, there's there's a psalm that says. Uh, they asked them to sing the songs of Zion, and they're like, "How can we sing the songs so, of Zion? Right. You know, in this foreign land we're in." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think the music and how you know music is—I mean, music is important to everybody here. I wish I could sing and play, but I can't. But I love music. I love the imagery. I love the lyric. I love all that. And uh, music has a way of changing your mood. Yeah. And sometimes it's just changing the dial on the radio as I talked about. And uh, so during this time of pandemic, um, you know, I've I've forced myself to listen to more Christian music um, and, you know, especially at Christmas time to look at those lyrics because we sing them and we're so used to them, but to really look at the lyrics Mm -hmm. and then that brings a calming effect on us. And I think that's the kind of picture God's having here that he, he... He's going to rescue us, and then it's going to be this time of rejoicing. He's going to be singing. Yeah. Uh, and I think Jesus sang with his disciples. I think he sang a lot. Yeah. Um, there's no way a bunch of guys can be on the road and they're not singing songs. I mean, we, <laughs> we sing songs, and we songs come up. And we make references and cross references, right. or throw out a lyric every once in a while. I think that same thing happens here. I mean the.
0: You know it's it's important to quiet your soul. you, you know it's interesting. You, you're right. Um, as a worship pastor, uh, I understand the value of music and, and people will tell you that not only is music good for quieting the soul, but music is good for, for for teaching and for memorization. Like it's a whole lot easier for me to memorize a song than it is for me to sit down and memorize. A passage of prose or a passage of text, right? Um, in fact, if you set, if you know, you probably know more Bible than you realize, simply because. If you if you've ever sung Christian worship songs, most of those are ripped right from the pages of scripture. Yeah, and my wife, she's got like memory verses that were songs that her mom taught her. Yeah.
1: And she knows tons of scripture just for the songs. She'll start singing that. I'll say, What are you gonna she'll
0: say, What are you preaching? I'll give her the message. Then she'll start singing it. I'll okay. <laughs> start singing the words yeah. of your message. Yeah. The the other thing that comes to mind when you say that, especially at this time of year, I can't help but think about the testimonies we get. From people every year who come over to us. We have a sync, for those of you who aren't local to us, we have a synchronized light show that we do outside for the community. And then it never fails every year, Jeff. We get these testimonies of people who say, Man, I was just having the worst day. I had just had, I I was in, you know, nearly in tears when they're telling these stories. I had the worst day. I was having just the worst time of my life. I pulled onto the lot though. I listened, there was, and there was something about the music. With the lights that just brought peace to me in that moment, and man, um, music—you're right. Music can do that. Music with a message can do that. But I think it's because of the message, uh, Blake, that 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 music is able to do that. That we can find that quietness. And how do you find? Like, how do you find? You're you're a student, and you're right here in the middle of finals, and you look like you've been beaten up a little bit this week, and, yeah. and so and so. How do you find quiet? How do you find peace in the midst of even student chaos?
3: Yeah, well um I'll just not to steal Jeff's thing, but it's true for me too. I have got to cut off the radio I've got to cut off the news and retune my dials to Christian music And one thing, like I said with Christmas time it's so easy for a Christian to just immerse yourself in. The gospel, mm-hmm. you know, the reason Jesus came, and you know, I said it yesterday in my kids' talk. But listen, listening to a song like "Silent Night," you know, something that's really just all about Jesus, you can just sit there and be in awe, and then you just have that peace that kind of passes all understanding just come upon you. And stand in His Word, and it's a, it's hard, it's hard, especially in the middle of finals and whatnot. I'm exhausted, <laughs> but um, it's. His word speaks, yeah, and you know it's alive and well, yeah, and going back to the basics, going right. back to the basics will give you peace. so I encourage you today go back to the basics jeremiah for a for a busy parent, someone who's
0: just stressed out, doesn't feel like they have time even to 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 stop and and smell the rose to stop and read to stop and and, and pray, or you know, they can't find that time. They can't hammer out that time. They feel like everything is just so busy, so hectic. How do you find calm? How do you find peace in that? Uh, what, what's your advice to people who are who find themselves in that position?
2: Just to tell them that it's important. If it's important, you'll find the time, and it is important. So, personally, I, I love music. Everyone knows this, uh, but. I like to go to the Psalms, which is not music per se, but they're songs that were written, right? Like art or poetry. Right. So get like if if I I just you could go to any scripture, sure, but I would walk out of the Minor Prophets and maybe avoid Revelation and something that's difficult, and move towards something that's more feelings based, which I think the Psalms are are feelings based. Yeah. Because uh, I don't, I don't want people to think that we're elevating music to the point of scripture. We're not. Um, the The greatest source of comfort for me is God's Word. Right. Uh, and if I'm being honest, I find myself more during those times in the Psalms because it's just more feelings based. More. Uh, but yeah, as a busy parent, you've got you gotta do. It. I mean, whether you gotta get a babysitter or Sometimes maybe you can't even find a babysitter or, or whatever it is. You've got to carve out that time to to re- rejuvenate.
0: Yeah, and I would even say um, perhaps it, it's not the— some people think it's the, the, the quantity that you read, like the amount that you read, that you've got—you know, if I'm not reading like three chapters a day, then I'm somehow or another not getting anything— I think sometimes just finding a psalm, a or finding even even a few verses in a psalm that you can meditate on throughout your busy day, is better than trying to go without any word at all. Right? Mm-hmm. It's better. That's better than, than nothing. And and in fact, um, you know, find. Uh, I know for for my wife at times she will. Um, uh, especially when we were commuting and stuff she would find uh, audio recordings of scripture and listen to and listen to it while she's so if you don't have time to sit down and read it, listen to it find yeah. some way to instill it into that busy schedule um, because you need that quietness you need that peace right you need that calm and you're not going to get that apart I think you're right you're not you, all, all three of you are right. I don't think you're gonna get that apart from spending time in God's Word. Speaking of spending time, we're out of time. Um, Well, this has been a good discussion today. We got in some deep waters, but we also got in some practical stuff. I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, We're looking forward to next week, though. We'll be right back here next Monday as we look at Haggai. Blake is going to be bringing the message from Haggai. Blake, I don't know how it is that you keep getting these books that are one and two chapters like you got the one chapter book before and now you get
3: the two chapter book. I feel like I've got the Lord's favor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so, definitely don't have it. Yet. <laughs> Jeff gets Jeff gets Judgment Doom and Gloom
0: <laughs> and Blake gets the short books. So um Jeff has uh, Zechariah which has yeah, like apocalyptic like 14. Je- you got Zechariah which has got 14 chapters. Yeah. You've managed to get all the long ones too. So well anyway, it's going to be great and we look forward to uh, to being right back here with you next Monday right here at Monday Main Point. Uh, we'll see you then. Have a great week. So long.